Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. The phrase set up has two very distinct meanings that are in direct contrast to each other. The first one is a very negative definition. It means to put in a compromising or dangerous position, usually by trickery or deceit. I want to share something with you, and I don't share this as an opening joke. I don't want it to come across that way. I'm actually embarrassed by it, and maybe this is confession. Maybe this is, this is me getting this out of my system, but there's a, a, a joke, and I, I use that word very loosely in this, that we used to play in high school, and it was awful, awful. Um, and, and what we would do is if there was a new kid that came to our school and he was hanging out with us, um, we would get a group of guys together and we would, we would say, hey, you know, go ask so-and-so about his sister that won all of the gold medals. And then the guy would go over to our lockers. We're standing there and he would ask, hey, tell me about your sister with all the gold medals. And this was horrible. Please understand what I'm saying. This is, this is horrible. And then whoever was standing there would say, man, that's not funny. You know, my sister can't walk or, you know, that kind of thing. And this guy would just be standing there with this look of defeat on his face. And it would, it would just be awful. And, you know, you're looking back on that, you think, how, how deceitful, how awful was that? And the reality is this, is that some of you, you're going through life and there's that kind of setup that is happening to you over and over and over again to where things that, that completely catch you off guard and the enemy is setting you up. And he knows, he knows this is going to bring pain. This is going to bring hurt. And he is setting you up for that kind of misery. And so that's the first definition of setup. You hear the, the term setup and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I, if I like that too much. But, but the second meaning is completely different. And it means this, to put in a place of advantage or success. Now, I don't know about you, but I can handle that definition a whole lot better than I can the first one. To put in a place of advantage or success. Parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about with this, because when raising a child, there are those necessary moments when a parent must set their child up for a successful moment in order to build that child's esteem and in order for them to believe in themselves, you have to have these moments. It's kind of like this. A mother puts floaties, you know, the floaties, the wingy things that the moms put on, puts floaties on their child's arms and then tells them to swim. And then we clap and applaud because they're swimming, but they can't sink. We've set them up for success. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, or, or when a father puts the baseball on a tee, instead of pitching it to the child, you know, teaching them how to hit the fastball, we put the, the, the baseball on a tee and then set them up to swing for the fence. You know, it makes it easier and it gives them some early success in the sport. Or, or, or when a parent puts training wheels on their child's bicycle and then celebrates their ability to ride a bike that can't even fall over. It's a setup. It gives them an advantage. It leads them towards success. And these moments are very intentional by the parent, but they are seldom seen by the child. When you're young, you don't recognize what the parent is doing. You don't realize what your mother is doing to help you. You don't realize what your father is doing to set you up for success. 
No, the child tends to focus on the dangers surrounding them and does not know what the parent knows. When it comes to the ways of God, these two meanings are slammed together to create one definition. No, God's not going to use deceit. That's not the way God operates. But there are times, church, when we are put in a compromising or dangerous position that leads to a place of advantage or success. It's not easy, but there are moments when God puts us in a compromising or dangerous position that leads us to a place of advantage or success. However, we never appreciate the compromising or the dangerous position. Because when you're in the middle of that battle, you don't see how this can benefit you later. You don't see how this is going to strengthen you later. But rest assured that every trial that you go through, God has a purpose and a plan on the other side of it. Every step of your journey, God has got something that it's leading you towards. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to be reading a number of verses today, so I ask that you just leave your Bibles open, if you will, for the remainder of this message. I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and, and, and before I read, let me, let me say this to you. I struggled this week with this particular passage of Scripture. I, I, I really didn't want to, to teach from this. And the reason why, I'm just going to be honest, I don't know, maybe today is just my day of, of you know, just laying it all out there and, you know, getting forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to share this because it's, it's so elementary. It's, it's the story of David and Goliath. And I'm like, God, everybody knows this story. And as a pastor, a pastor who, who likes to study and likes to bring out verses that maybe we haven't seen in a particular light, I, I didn't want to teach this today. And I fought it this week. And I, and I thought, God, I want you to give me something deeper, you know, something more than David and Goliath. But for some reason, God kept bringing me back to this. And so I finally submitted my will to his will and said, God, teach us. Teach us from David and Goliath. And so here we go. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Azekah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Eli and drew up in line of, of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, in the valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now go down to verse 8. He stood and shout, shouted, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of, the th- of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. If I were to ask you what name is mentioned in the Bible more than any other name, you would probably say Jesus. I mean, because after all, Jesus is the answer to all of life's questions, right? Every need that we have, the answer is Jesus. Every concern that we have, the answer is Jesus. So it only makes sense that to answer that question, what name is mentioned more than any other name in the Bible, that it should be Jesus. And if you were to give me that answer, I would tell you that you were wrong. That that is not the most mentioned named in all of the Bible. You might say Moses, and that would be a good guess, but no. Uh, I mean, it's a good guess because I'm sure he's listed on the Flannel Graph Hall of Fame. But no, Abraham, you might say Abraham. No, it's not Abraham. Peter, Paul, and Mary. No, it's not Peter, Paul, and Mary. The answer, as you've probably already guessed, is David. David is mentioned in the Bible more than any other name. And his story is told over a span of 61 chapters in the Bible. And if you want to get technical about it, he is accredited for writing probably 72 or 73 of the Psalms. And so David, we know, is an important figure in the Bible. He will go down in history as one of the greatest warriors and kings of all of Israel. But long before David was killing Philistines, long before David was a king sitting on a throne, David was just tending sheep on his father's back 40. That's what his role was. That was his job. That was his responsibilities. Tend to the sheep Make sure they're okay. Protect them. Feed them. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a battle and you have no idea how you got there? You you scratch your head thinking, I didn't even ask for this. Where did this come from? I I just walked into the room. You know what I'm talking about. You're heading to the break room at work and you walk in the break room, just go into the refrigerator, that's all you're doing, and, and you, you cross the line of fire between two fellow employees and, and one of them says these, these words to you. Trump or Clinton? You know, you know, I didn't, I didn't walk in here wanting to get political, I didn't, I, I, I just wanted last night's lasagna, I was going to heat it up for lunch, that's all I wanted. Why is this happening to me right now? Or, or Men, you know, you know, you just walked into the kitchen and you just wanted to get, get some water. You know, just, just going to fill your glass up with some water and that's all you wanted. But for some reason, your wife 
takes your head off. I mean, just, she lays into you. you she just, you know, and, and you're like, what did, what did I do? What did I do? Did I use the wrong glass? You know, this, you know, I always use this glass. What, what, what happened? What, I did, what, where'd this come from? Or, or women, you know, maybe you called your sister to talk about last night's episode of Grey's Anatomy and, and an hour later, you're still stuck on the phone talking about how her husband walked into the kitchen to get something to drink and he didn't even notice her new hairdo. And so she laid into him. And so an hour later, you're still talking and you think to yourself, how did I get here? How did, how did I end up on this battlefield? And that had to be the thoughts of a young David. I mean, think about it. The kid was sent by his dad, Jesse, just to deliver some ham sandwiches to his brothers out on the battle. That's a lie. That's a lie. They were Jewish. They were turkey sandwiches. <laughs> turkey sandwiches that he was taking to his brothers on the battlefield. That's it. Go check on your dad. I mean, go check on your brothers. Go check, see how they're doing. Give them, give them some food and then come back and give me a report. I want to know how your brothers are doing out there, uh, you know, on, on the front line. I want, I want to know, I want, you know, some details of, of how they are. And he's just minding his own business, probably shooting the breeze with some of his brother's, you know, uh, friends that are in the army there and just sitting around talking. When all of a sudden David hears these, these insults being hurled at his nation's army. And it catches his attention, so he inquires. And, and he finds out the details of, of Goliath. This guy is is threatening the nation of Israel and he's demanding that someone come out there and fight him. The battle started long before he, he ever stepped foot on the battlefield. You see, even his oldest brother, Eliab, is very critical and he tells him, he said, David, you're not qualified for this. You want to go fight this guy? You're not qualified. All you do is tend a few sheep for dad. You're not qualified to do this. And so he's, he's getting it from his family. You know, his brother makes sure that he realizes there's a difference between giant killing and sheep herding. And, and you're not the guy for this job. And then Saul tries to, to put David in his armor. David says, King, I want to go and defend our nation. I want to go and, and fight this guy. And so he says, well, you know, I don't think you have a good shot. But, but here, let me put, let me put the, my armor on you and here's my sword. And David tries it on and he can't hardly move. And so the Bible says that David refuses to wear the king's armor armor and carry the king's sword. And, and, and he just says, this is, this is not for me. This is not the way that, that I'm going to do this. And so David takes his staff, a sling, and he goes down to the brook and he gets five stones and he puts them in a pouch and, and he heads out onto the battlefield. And church, what happens next is key to his and our victory. You want to win? Whatever battle you're going through right now, you want to win? Get this, 1 Samuel 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Church, understand that the giants that we face in life are seldom what we think that they are. The situation that you're staring at, it's not always as big and as dangerous as you think. Because the same qualities that appear to give them strength are often the sources of great weaknesses also. We know that Goliath was somewhere around seven feet tall. That's intimidating. But he was also a mouth. We know because he stood on a battlefield and he taunted the Israelites, cursing their God, calling them names, saying what he was going to do with them. He was a mouth and he was using it to his advantage. I, I picture it, deep voice, angry. You remember Brittany Griner, the basketball player, super tall, remember? and she just had that deep voice when, when they would interview her. Scary, scary. That's how I picture Goliath. Because anyone of any type of, of, of stature like that, they always have that deep voice when they talk. And most soldiers would hear a voice like that, and they were cowered down in fear. But David, David was feeling patriotic, and that was Goliath's worst nightmare. Because the worst threat to a terrorist is a young man or a young woman that loves their country. That's the worst. And Goliath was a terrorist to Israel. And this young man loved his country he had dreams of growing up in that land. He had dreams of getting married and having his own family and his own farm. And, and he, he had dreams of what it was going to become. But this guy was threatening. This terrorist was threatening that way of life. And so he was not going to stand for it. And when Goliath shouted at the Israelites, he was demanding what is known as single combat. This was a common practice. Two sides in conflict, they would seek to avoid the, the heavy bloodshed uh, of open battle. And, and the way they would do that is they, each side would choose one warrior to represent them on the battlefield. And whoever won that battle would win the war. Most armies would see a warrior like Goliath and they would just submit to fear. I mean, seven feet tall. The stories of Goliath spread all throughout the land. Even here in 1 Samuel, they make sure that we know who he is and where he's from. His battle record was impressive. They would hear about that. Then they would see him and they would just submit to that fear and they would surrender. Most of the time they would surrender and just live the rest of their lives serving that nation. So Goliath is either expecting them to surrender just through intimidation or maybe they would send out their tallest warrior who would fail in comparison to, to Goliath. But maybe they would send out their tallest warrior that Israel has to offer and, and, and offer him for hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, against Goliath. And so 
Maybe Goliath is expecting their greatest warrior to come out. And when they finally send someone out, it's this shepherd boy named David. He just steps out onto the battlefield and, and, he, and he's got his, his staff and he's got a sling and that's it. And Goliath being the mouth that he is, he was like, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? That you would send this kid out here on the battlefield with no armor, no real weapons. I kind of felt like maybe it threw Goliath off a little bit. You know, when, when you're big and bad and you know you're going to win and they send the smallest guy in the territory out on the battlefield, it had to cross his mind. If, if that's a distraction, are they going to flank me? Are they coming from the sides? What, what's going on here? And when you get nervous and you're a mouth, guess what you start doing? You start running that mouth even more. And, and Goliath just won't shut up. And, and in verse 44, Goliath makes this statement, and it's three words, and, and, and this is what you have to get right here because this, this changes everything. He says these words, come to me. Come to me. You want to fight? Come to me. I want you within arm's reach. Come to me. Because Goliath knows that if he can get his hands on David, he is going to rip him to shreds and make a public example out of him. Come to me. Just, just get closer. You ever, you ever been messing with a kid? I've done this with kids for years. And, 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 and I'll say, just a little bit closer. And they'll, they'll take little steps up. Just a little bit closer. And they'll take some more steps up. And once they get close enough, you grab them, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, that's what Goliath is doing to David. Come to me. Just, just, just get here. Because if I can get you and, and, and I can get my hands on you, boy, I'm going to rip you limb for limb. But David has no intention of getting that, that close to Goliath. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about here because this is, this, this is the best way that I can illustrate this really quick. Um, Daniel, come here just a second. Come on up here. You've played some basketball, right? Okay, come right here. Come right here. You're going to play defense on me. So, so spread, your, spread, your, yeah, spread your legs. You can play defense. There you go. You one hand high. One, there you go. That's good. That's good. Now, if I'm on offense and he's on defense, <laughs> not bad. If I'm on offense and he's on defense, and they're looking at me, bro. Get over here. Come on. All right, play defense. I'm going to get on the low block, close to the goal, and I'm going to post up, and, and, and they're going to give me the ball, and I'm just going to turn around. I've got height on him. This matters. This matters. So, you know, he can jump as high as he wants to, and he can't get this ball out of my hand. Sometimes I won't even have to leave my feet, you know. But, but it works the other way around, too, because watch this. Now you're on offense. You're dribbling the ball. Dribble the ball. Dribble the ball. Just stand right there and dribble the ball. Don't turn your back to the goal, son. We're going to teach you some back. There you go. My back's to the goal, not yours. Okay. He's dribbling the ball. Now, the best thing that a guard can do is to get the post player out here. If he can get him away from the rim, 
no matter how tall he is, this is no man's land for a post player. The taller you are, the closer you want to stay in. And, and so if I come out here, then, then he's going to dribble between his legs. Drib, drib. <laughs> Quit turning your back to me, son. There you go. Dribble between your legs. There you go. He's going to take it left-handed. He's going to drive around. I, he's quicker than me. He's faster than me because I'm bigger. And he's going to either make the layup or, I'm, or dunk it. Nice job. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Or he's going to get fouled on the way up. Every guard knows just because he's bigger than you, there's a way to, to, to abuse him. There's a way to mess him up. There's a way to get around that guy. And so you just get him outside the lane. Get him out here, drive around him, and, and, and then the advantage is yours. David had no intention of getting that close to Goliath. David knew what he was prepared to do. And as a shepherd boy, David was trained in the, in, in the art of rocks and slings. Slinging took an extraordinary amount of skill and practice. In experienced hands, the sling was a devastating weapon. Irish slingers were said to be able to hit a coin from as far away as they could see it. In the Old Testament book of Judges, slingers are described as being accurate within a hair's breadth. Hundreds of years later, the Romans even had a special set of tongs that were made just to remove stones that had been embedded in soldiers' bodies. It seems as though David's choice of weapon hundreds of years earlier was now inspiring those on the battlefield hundreds of years later. Aiton Hirsch, a ballistics expert with the Israeli Defense Forces, he did a series of calculations showing that a typical sized stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters, which is 115 feet, it would have hit Goliath's head with a velocity of 34 meters per second. That means David, at, at that distance, would have, that stone would have left his sling and hit him within one second or just over one second. And it would have been enough to penetrate his skull and render him unconscious or even leave him dead. And you see, he had already killed a lion and a bear with his sling. We know because he, he tells King Saul that. When he's trying to get him to wear his armor, he says, I've, I've already been to battle. Just, it's not the same battle that you're facing right now, but, but I've been to battle before. Once there was a, a, a lion that was coming after my sheep. So I defended my sheep. I took my sling and I took that lion out. And, and then one day there was a bear that was coming for my sheep. And, and I took my sling and I, I took that bear out. You see, what, what you have to realize is that Yesterday's lion is preparing you for the war today against the bear. And today's bear is preparing you for tomorrow's war against Goliath. That every battle that you've already been through in your life has prepared you for the next battle of life. And, and let me just go ahead and get this out, okay? Some people aren't going to like this. They're going to say that this is not good theology or whatever, but, but just listen to me. Battles are coming. Jesus said that, that we are going to have hardships. It's going to happen. And so you might as well get ready. There's more hardship coming. It's going to happen. But, but the Bible says that he takes us from glory to glory to glory to glory. He is going to give you the victory, but you've got to live off yesterday's encouragement that he brought you through that battle. He brought you through that lion. He brought you through that bear. And he'll see you through that Goliath. 
David said, I've already been here. And I knew better. When, when that lion came against my sheep, I was not going hand-to-hand combat with him. No. I've got a slingshot. Why am I going to go over there and fight him in, in hand-to-hand combat when I can take him out from here? And when I saw that bear messing with my sheep, I didn't go over there and, and, and challenge him to an arm wrestling match. No, I didn't want hand-to-hand combat. I, I knew right here from this moment that I was going to battle him from a distance. So I got my sling out and I took him out from a distance. David knew exactly how he wanted to battle Goliath. See, some of you, you, you've got to get to that point to where you realize you've got this. You've got, yesterday's battle has prepared you for today's battle. And today's battle is going to prepare you for tomorrow's battle. You've got this. And you need to start declaring that over your life that no matter what the enemy throws at you, you've got this. 1 Samuel 17 verse 48 When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, I love this, David ran quickly. Let me tell you, this is one of the smartest battle plans. He's got his sling in hand and David begins to run quickly because he knows what momentum will do. That that if he's running and slinging, when he releases it, it's going to make the impact that much harder. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone and slung it and stuck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And I love this. There was no sword in the hand of David. No sword. The Bible makes sure that you know he did not use the conventional weapons of war. David was a slinger. And slingers beat infantry every time, hands down, always. I like the way the historian Robert Derenrin said, he said, Goliath had as much chance against David as a Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have against an opponent armed with a 45 automatic pistol. In other words, let me put this in layman terms for you. Goliath, don't bring a sword to a sling fight. <laughs> because the way I'm going to defeat you It's not the same way that you want to defeat me. Some of you need to square your shoulders back. You need to look across the battlefield at your enemy and you need to let him know, I'm not coming any closer. I can beat you from here. Why would I give up my game plan and stoop to your level when I've got everything I need right here? Greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. Why would I give up the space in between us? Why would I get close enough where you can choke me out with your hands when I know I can take you down from here? So the enemy has attacked you. There's no need for you to run any closer to him. Keep your distance. 
Keep your distance. Get your sling out. Get your spiritual sling out. The rock of your salvation and get ready to knock him down. The enemy cannot defeat you when you realize that there's already a lion and a bear that you defeated and now there's a Goliath and all it was doing was preparing David for the greatness of who he would become. This was just the beginning of his story. To become the warrior to the point to where the women would say Saul has killed his thousands but David has killed his tens of thousands. It started with one giant and from there it turned into him defeating tens of thousands. God got you through this one. God got you through this one. God's going to get you through this one, and it's just the catapult to get you to the next level and the success that he wants to bring on your life. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.